Hello, and welcome to the Stock Out. This is your show at Freightways for all things related to, this, to CPG companies, those are consumer packaged goods, and their supply chains. I'm Mike Bowden-Distel, I'm an analyst and market expert here at Freightwaves, and the CPG industry, along with uh, rail intermodal, is uh, one of the industries that I follow here at uh, Freightwaves. Um, so the idea behind this uh, show is to you know, get into topics that uh, relate specifically to the CPG industry. We want to see the, the industry from the shipper's perspective, not always the carriers and brokers a perspective um, uh, at FreightWaves. And uh, if that's of interest to you, would encourage you to go to, to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout. And if you're not already signed up for it, uh, please consider signing up for my newsletter, which um, comes out once or twice every week, um, depending on how much time there is. Um, and, uh, you know, just talk about, you know, what's happening with uh, the CPG industry, you know, that they'll have a wide range of, of topics there from companies' individual results to M&A activity to just what's happening, you know, with their suppliers. And that's going to be one of the things I'm talking to talk about today. I'm going to talk about, um, you know, one of the big issues that's taking place in CPG um, supply chains, which is the Indonesian uh, ban on uh, some of their, uh, the palm oil uh, exports. So I'm going to talk about that and also going to t- be talking to uh, Tony Mulvey, who publishes uh, an article that I think everyone should should read that comes out once every uh, Friday, which is on the uh, negotiating leverage between carriers and shippers and puts a rating on that um, negotiating leverage and describes how that changes from one week to the next. So it's really an efficient way to understand uh, what's happening in transportation marketplace um, by reading that report and, and, and subscribing to it every uh, Friday. Uh, would also uh, you know direct your attention to um, signing up to our, um, our our conference, which is in two weeks from now. We'll all be in uh, Rogers, Arkansas for the Future of Supply Chain event. And uh, there are going to be plenty of CPG companies and their retail partners and uh, carrier partners in attendance. And the CPG companies that are going to be there are Nestle, uh, Unilever and Tyson. Um, you know, Tyson's really been uh, has performed well over the past year. Um, it really has been able to, to raise prices on on, on meat, uh, and uh, Nestle's performed well too. They um, you know really uh, shifted to the higher end uh, product categories, uh, really focused in on things like health foods, um, et cetera, that uh, you know consumers are willing to pay a little bit more for. So they've been pretty insulated from a lot of the cost of pressure um, that's taken place. Um, so with that, it's just a little bit of an intro. Uh, let's get into our first topic today, which is the Indonesian ban on some exports of palm oil. This one has been a little bit um, you know, volatile you know, over the weekend. Um, you know, Indonesia, uh, this is a picture of you know, two workers in Indonesia, which look to be doing a very dangerous job standing on top of a truck, open top truck, um, you know, stuffing uh, palm oil fruit into um, the cargo area of this truck. And what that has to do with CPG supply chains is those are some of the key ingredients that go into you know, various food products, even a lot of um, you know, consumer goods like you know, beauty products and personal care products. So some of the companies that rely on palm oil would be like Unilever, um, you know, Mondelez is a very big, you know, Mondelez is the maker of, of Oreos, they're a very big buyer of, um, of palm oil. And what happened over the weekend is it's kind of this fallout from the uh, Ukraine um, in, in invasion where countries around the world that make um, or supply 
food products are getting more protectionist. And, and so what happened over the weekend is Indonesia said initially that it was going to ban all exports of palm oil. Now, Indonesia and Malaysia represent about 85% of total palm oil exports. Um, now, it does compete a lot with other vegetable oils. And then Indonesia came back and said, well, it's just going to be the refined products, sort of recognizing that the you know, refined and processed uh, facilities is set up more for how much they export rather than how much is actually consumed domestically. And so initially you saw the price of, um, of, of palm oil futures you know, shoot way up, have a chart on that, um, and, and then come back down. But still, you know, even with that, that decline, you see palm oil futures, this is for May 2022 delivery, about 80% higher than they were a year ago. They're about 40% higher than they were at the beginning of the year, which is pretty consistent with total you know, vegetable oils, which is outpacing, um, you know, total, you know, food prices. So CPG companies really um, coming in under a lot of pressure uh, with, with inputs. And it's not just palm oil, it's all of the competing oils. So palm oil would compete in a lot of cases with soybean oil, rapeseed oil, et cetera, all these other vegetable oils that get used in you know, various food products, various desserts, and, and and those things and soybean oils come under its own pressure uh, because of a drought in Argentina. So so all these things, it's it's just one more uh, sort of cost pressure. And I think it's um, you know pretty uh, symbolic of what's going to happen in other types of agriculture commodities as well. Of course, Ukraine is a huge um, you know exporter of uh, uh, sunflower uh, sunflowers and sunflower oil. But, you know, in agriculture in general, um, you know, what happens is these other countries that, you know, have a lower standard of living than the U.S., the food prices is a much larger portion of people's budgets. So rising food prices has a much greater potential to lower standards of living. And so other countries that, um, you know, participate in the agriculture trade, they're getting more protectionist, which in turn is just exacerbating the food price, um, you know, issues. Um, you know, some of these worldwide indexes are that, you know, food prices um, worldwide up about 25%. I've seen statistics that U.S. grocery prices are up about 10%, which seems to understate how much uh, food is rising, um, particularly if you're a buyer of meat products. Those are well up over um, in, in the double digits, 20, 30%, some, in, some cases, in some cases more than that. So that's really been, you know, kind of this big issue, um, in, you know, on all these inputs for, um, for, for, food, for food prices. Um, so topic number two here is the CPG companies have started uh, uh, reporting earnings. And I think the CPG margin pressure, at least, no longer seems to be um, surprising Wall Street, which I think was also true in the previous quarter. That's kind of the big you know, takeaway when I saw Procter & Gamble report. I think it was last week. They had a 400 mar- basis point of margin pressure, and they still managed to beat expectations. It seems like the expectations um, on a lot of these companies have come down to the point where there, you know, analysts are expecting several hundred basis points of margin pressure. So it probably doesn't feel great to the companies to have margins that are that much that, that much below where they were pre-pandemic. Um, but you do at least um, they're no longer missing earnings like you know a lot of last year. A lot of CPG companies were missing earnings because there was more uh, margin pressure. Uh, another thing I'm seeing in uh, CPG companies reporting their earnings is there doesn't seem to be a tremendous amount of elasticity in their sales, at least not yet. The, the CPG companies have said, well, most of them have said their customers still buying uh, consumer packaged goods. Um, so it does make you wonder whether um, you know, people are cutting back on uh, more of the, the entertainment type products, not renewing their Netflix subscription, 
not going to uh, you know opening day for Major League Baseball, but um, but still you know buying uh, their CPG items. And then on Friday, uh, Kimberly Clark was the best performing, one of the best performing companies in the S and P amid the the route. Um, Dow was down about a thousand points, but Kimberly Clark I think was up about ten percent um, on an earnings beat. And you know e- even there, they're 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 able to, to raise guidance and and haven't seen a lot of pressure on uh, sales. So at least CPG companies so far, um, you know, don't seem to be um, you know seeing too much volume retrenchment. I think that may come. Uh, as consumers feel a little bit more pressure. So that's a little bit of an overview of what's happening uh, around the, the CPG industry. And now I want to bring on um, my colleague, uh, Tony Mulvey. Tony uh, and I work closely on you know, various research reports. And uh, Tony, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Uh, I think this might be the first time I've had an internal guest. Um, but I wanted to bring you on because you write this uh, you know, report every Friday. I don't think it gets enough credit for how much work you put into it, which is called the Freight Waves Pricing Power Index, the PPI, not to be confused with the Producer Price Index. Um, so you publish this every Friday, and you know what is it in a nutshell? So this is a you know graphic. If you can see the screen on, um, you know, right now it's at forty-five, and last week it was at fifty-five. So sort of how do, how do you come up with those those numbers, and how is it calculated? What what kind of intro would, would you give us on that? So the PPI is kind of a gauge from zero, zero to 100, right? And 50 being a balanced market, anything sub 50, pricing power is in favor of the shippers, anything over 50 in favor of the carriers. And we take into account volume levels, uh, rejections, so that capacity aspect, and then what rates are doing. And really the drop in the past weeks kind of in sync with the overall market dynamics in in the freight market, I mean, you've seen volumes decline, rejections decline, and ultimately spot rates decline. And I look just now, contract rates have taken a pretty big dip here at the beginning of April. So all that combined is starting to show signs of weakness and that pricing power shifting over from the carriers where it's been for 94 weeks back into the shipper's hands where it was uh, before the pandemic. So a 45 out of 100. So if, if you know, a CPG company, which is the target audience for this, um, it, they're playing golf. They want a low number. Low, lower is, is, is better. But 45 is kind of, it seems like a mid-range between zero and 100 pretty much. So they maybe have, it, it, it's sort of shifting in their favor, but, but not totally in their favor. Yeah, correct. I mean, there's really, in the transportation market, it's really hard to find that balance market, right? That at 50, right? But what we saw was spot rates decline. I mean, they're down 29 cents in two weeks. And those are all in rates. So they include those fuel pressures that we've seen that small carriers are are faced with dealing with. So what you're seeing on the CPG front, it means that, hey, maybe margin, that transportation, that margin pressure that you were talking about that Wall Street's kind of expecting, well, transportation costs that were one of those pressures are starting to ease a little bit. And, and we've talked about it a bunch here at Freight Waves. This kind of, as Craig put it in an article earlier, our CEO, a bloodbath coming. Well, you look at carriers and think based on the size of fleets, right? 58% of fleets are six trucks or fewer. So these smaller carriers really bear the brunt uh, of these declining costs because they just don't have the density to create these networks that CPG companies rely on and where where they turn to a freight broker or somebody like that, whereas a larger carrier 
like what we've seen earnings releases in recent weeks or just last week, earnings for carriers are record highs, but they're all talking about softening conditions. Yeah, so you bring up a couple of interesting points there. I mean, we, we've all read Craig Fuller's articles, you know, a bloodbath is coming. Um, you know, a 45 doesn't, to me, say a, a, a bloodbath. So how do you reconcile Craig's article saying a bloodbath is coming versus your 45 versus the carriers saying, well, results, you know, pretty solid. Um, you, you know, how do you reconcile those three things? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... When you think of the bloodbath, I mean, you think of smaller carriers, right? And then you think of the enterprise carriers. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of trucks. And really what we want to do is with the 45, we're kind of in the middle, right? And you, the small carriers are vital. And we've seen the, the revenues just run to record highs, but they don't have necessarily the cash flow to weather a storm. And they've overpaid for equipment and things like that. And what, I mean, really this 45 and what it means for shippers is you're starting to see some favorable conditions, right? I know Bank of America released a report last week that talked, that included some shipper surveys. I mean, I think one food shipper in particular said that carriers, they just completed a bid cycle and carriers are coming back and lowering the bid before it's even implemented, right? So you're seeing just kind of this bid against in, in the transportation market Kind of how it worked on the upside for for trucking carriers, but really bid into those margins for CPG companies kind of works in favor for CPG companies on the downside, right? Carriers start, the ga- name of the game on the carrier side is to keep my wheels moving because that's how they generate revenue. If they're sitting on the sideline empty, well, they're not making money. So really they want to, they're trying to drive that utilization and ultimately they just start bidding against each other on the downside too. So lower those rates and ultimately that that leads to better margin, at least less margin pressure for CPG companies. I mean, we're still talking about record high rates. I mean, contract rates are still up 20% year over year. Spot rates just turn negative, but there's the signs looking forward tell us that, hey, we're this market's softening and those margins should improve. So does this make CPG companies the preferred shippers or sort of the shippers of choice? Because you tend to think of CPG as something that tends to be pretty stable. You know, the people who are buying food products, you know, maybe didn't buy a lot less just because the Dow was down a thousand points on on Friday. Um, But they might not, you know, go out and buy a house and a ton of furniture and, 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 and some of those things. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think you and anytime you think about the stickiness of, of consumers' sentiment and demand. I mean, CPG, food, household products, I mean, those things are necessities, right? I mean, we talk about the inflation rate, and a lot of times core inflation gets kind of taken out, right? So, or we cite, core inflation gets cited a lot, which is inflation, this consumer price index minus energy and food, because food's kind of volatile, but it's a necessity. And I think that's kind of, we've seen this, the sti- you mean, you think about stim- the government backing the stimulus that we've seen over the past, uh, from 2020 into 2021. Well, now in 2022, those packages aren't necessarily in place that, that help the consumer balance sheet and things like that. They were going out spending discretionary income on clothing, on furniture, on some bigger, bulkier goods, kind of redoing their houses because they were staying home. Well, now things have reopened. There is a little more spending on experiences, 
But I mean, ultimately, the CPG companies kind of set themselves apart in that stickiness, that inelastic demand uh, that you were talking about, that there hasn't been that shift in elasticity for CPG goods from some of the, the shippers that ultimately it'll probably be one of the last things we see kind of a shift in. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I also want to ask you, are you seeing any differences in the marketplace between dry van versus reefer? I mean, some, some CPG companies, they do you know just reefer, some just do dry van, some do a combination of the two, some do dry van and intermodal. Some will actually do all three if you're talking about someone like a, like a Unilever. But any differences in those um, individual uh, segments? I mean, the big one, the, I think it's more the softening, the rate of softening. Both markets have softened pretty significantly. I mean, we're talking drive-in rejections under 10%. And just to kind of give a little context, pre-pandemic, we would have thought 7 to 10% rejections were kind of inflationary for spot rates. Well, we've been at 20% for 22 months uh, on the rejection side. So really seeing more of a deflationary aspect on that side. On the reefer side, rejections were up near 40% even just a couple months ago, talking beginning of the year. Now they're down into the mid-teens. So I think right now they're right on 17 16%. So I mean, we're definitely seeing an acceleration of softening on the reefer side. So finding that reefer capacity a little easier, which is, to me, it's a little bit of a surprise just given that reefer is a little more specialized than dry van. I mean, when we see this rapid acceleration in the capacity front, right, adding as many carriers as we did in February, still waiting to see those FMCSA data points for March, a lot go into the dry van market, right? And not as much in the reefer just because of that specialization. So you do see a looser market on the dry van side, right? Rejections at 10% versus 17%. But we were at 20%. Basically, they've been cut in half. We're on, on the drive-in side. And on the reefer side, it's more than half falling from about 40% down to that 17% number. Yeah, this seems to be impacting the CPGs in a, like a few different ways. I mean, it seems like you know, a company like Clorox talked about in one of their e- recent earnings calls that not only have more of their loads been rejected, but they were also subject to spot rates that were just on. On the moon. And so even if they weren't getting better coverage, which you're saying they will, more, more of their clothes will be covered in the contract market, at a minimum, those rates, which those rates were, they're paying, I think, close to $5 a mile, those have come way down. I mean, th- th- their rates, it seemed like they were worse than what the, the um, rates overall that we have in Sonar were. So it seems like it helps on, on a couple different you know, levels there. I um, also wanted to ask you if you could take, you know, compare what's happening in the largest markets in the country, sort of those moving loads outside of, out of you know, LA, Ontario, Dallas, Chicago, versus some that are, that are maybe in mid or smaller sized cities. I mean, some of the, the plants that make CPGs, like you think of a you know, General Mills um, cereal plant, for instance, so those might be in you know, Buffalo or Cincinnati. Or, how, how is the small markets looking? Are those loosening up as well? So really broad-based, I mean, we've seen loosening across the board. Uh, I would say the large markets were those that loosened first, which when you think about how transportation networks are set up and, and what carriers, going back to that utilization, they just want to get loaded, right? They want to drive full trucks and because that's how they're going to earn their money. Well, they want to go to the largest markets. So, I mean, you really saw capacity flood into your Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, your Atlanta, your Dallas, Chicago, uh, 
LA, Ontario. I mean, you look at rejections in all of those markets, they're in the mid single digits. I think even in uh, Ontario, they're sub 5%. So, I mean, you're talking 94% care or 96% compliance on contracted rates. So, obviously, cares are flooding in there. That leaves some of these smaller markets a little more impacted from a capacity front. So definitely a slower decline in the smaller markets. I mean, I looked earlier today, we have this, our weighted rejection index was basically is a way to see where capacity is tightening or loosening relative to the size of the market with certain markets. Most of the bigger markets are still in that loosening pattern relatively quickly. But a Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is a relatively small market, I mean, it's kind of in that 25 to 50 uh, range in terms of ranking our 135 freight markets. It's kind of there in the middle. Uh, When you think about the top 20 markets really control about 50% of outbound tender volumes, it's really relatively small, but it's the only market in the country that's tightening. I mean, you're seeing rejections up at 29, 30%. And that's, that's what you're going to see in these smaller markets, especially as, as conditions loosen. You may see rejections kind of fall. It'll be more of a, a wave, right? You'll see carriers leave large markets, go into some of these smaller markets to try to chase some rates. Because ultimately in a market like this, where if they can get a rate that's kind of flat over the past six months, that's going to be more beneficial than a rate that's come down, uh, say, 20, 30, 40 cents a mile. Uh, so ultimately these smaller markets will have a little tighter capacity than the large ones just because of the outbound volume and carriers want to be loaded, uh, which ultimately keeps a little pressure on rates. But broadly speaking, you're seeing that that deflationary pressure on uh, trucking rates. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I also wanted to ask you, are there any implications of this loosening truck market for CPGs that have private fleets? I mean, yes and no. I mean, the the difference with a private fleet, I mean, you're not exposed as much to the rate exposure, right? So I think those that have private fleets are a little insulated, right? I mean, you look at how, and I mean, the big driver is going to be, we've seen driver pay increases, right? Because they've had the opportunity to go out and make their own, or enormous amounts of money over the past two years, chasing higher rates. Well, now they've switched. So, I mean, I think what you'll see more of is that a little easier hiring conditions, not to say it's going to be instant, right? We're, I mean, we're talking six, three, six, nine months before we really probably see that. But I do think that's, it, it kind of loosens up that labor market tightness, at least for drivers, right? The drivers will still be in demand. But we'll see a shift kind of back uh, under these private fleets, company fleets as well uh, from those that transition to owner ops in chase of those that were chasing these higher rates. Great. We have about a minute and a half left and wanted to ask you, maybe the last question will be, um, you know, what do you think the impact's going to be from the China shutdowns? Like this has a pretty big impact, wouldn't you say, on CPG companies, even if they are manufacturing domestically selling it domestically just on the overall transportation market? Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, one big one's going to be just those raw materials and inputs. That's going to be the difficult. I mean, the big one's going to be what does the consumer look like, right? I mean, all this good, once China ramps up, what does it look like? I mean, the available capacity should 
increase even more just because we're not, we're not gonna, our import levels are going to decline, right, based on the shutdown. I mean, Henry Byer said that over the next two weeks, we could see TEU volumes from China to the U.S. decline by 50%. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. And ultimately, that means less volume here in the U.S., which means looser capacity with all these trucks that entered the market. And so it should be easier to find a truck uh, and ultimately drive rates down. Uh, but when, when it turns back on, it'll be interesting to see what happens here domestically. But that could be another six months from now. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. And uh, I would encourage all our listeners to uh, keep up with your uh, PPI index, which you can just go by FreightWaves and, and plus PPI, and, and you should be able to see it. But, but thanks very much, Tony. Thanks.